Well, good morning. I have a question for you, though. And I, I, I don't know if this is a question that you think about very often. And I, I think it's a question that all of us, even not just young people, but all of us. Are, are you listening out there, people in the live stream? You kids out there in the live stream, you should be listening to. I want you to think about once in a while, I want you to take some time to think about who are those people that you want to imitate? Who, what, what, what does it mean to imitate somebody? Who, or, or, or maybe I want to ask you a question. Who, who are some of those people that you want to be like? Who, you know, who, are, who are those people that you look up to and say, you know what, I want to be like that person someday because that person is a positive example in my life and the way they exude and how, how they... How, I'm, just, I'm using big words now. But, you know, the way that they live their lives, the way that they talk, the way that they present themselves, the way that they smile, the way that they bring sunshine into the world, the way they bring light into the world. Who are some of those people that bring light into your world? Yes. Colby Bryant. There you go. Very good example. Yes. Who else? Your uncle. Wow, okay. Tell me a little bit about that. Why is it that you want to be more like your uncle? It better be something, something positive. Because he's a doctor at a hospital and he wants to keep people alive. There you go. Wonderful. I love that. So who are some other people that you think of that are kind of that sunshine in life for you? Like your grandpa. Yeah. What about your grandpa? What about your grandpa? Uh-oh. Here we go, Grandpa. He works at the ambulance, yes. He saves people. Uh-huh. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's one of those people that's on the front lines, isn't he? He has a very important job. Yeah. Anybody else that you can think of that's kind of that sunshine, that person that you want to look up to in life and want to be more like? Your grandma? She used to be a, a firefighter? Wow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. How about your folks? How about your parents? And how about, you know, other, uh, perhaps, uh, like a teacher, a school teacher? Yes. Maybe even your pastor, huh? <laughs> no. Oh, she gave me a sour look. <laughs> okay, now I know. I got my work to do, too. Because I need to be reminded of that, and you all need to be reminded of that. We need to think about... You know, we've got this passage before us today where these disciples are seeing Jesus as they've never seen him before. Glory, you know, his, his face has shone with the glory of the Lord and it's radiant and all of God's glory is there and they're just seeing Jesus revealed for who he truly is. And I think that's one of the things that we want to be looking to and asking ourselves on a continual basis is who are those people that that help make it possible for us to be more of a, a, a light in the world. Because that's what we need more than ever right now. We need to have, uh, be a light and to be a presence uh, in the world. And um, there's, some, there's, some tremendous, there's some tremendous not so good things happening in the world right now. And um, especially over in a place called Europe, in a place called Ukraine. And there's some very, very horrific things happening over there. And we, we really need to think about uh, how that's affecting those people's lives. So 
think about that. Keep reminding yourself and keep looking up to those people who are, are that, that, that ray of sunshine and that ray of, of, uh, of hope for you in your, in your walk as you grow up in life. So again, uh, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for your love and for your, the way in which you extend your, um, your grace uh, to us. Help us to see you. Help us to look to you. Help us to uh, look to your face and to look to your example of how you lived your life and how you loved us and how you want us to be that same love to the people that we encounter in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here our gospel led to us today from the ninth chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 28. Glory to you, O Lord. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and they went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men there appeared, Moses and Elijah, in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And yet he did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions. So he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Jesus replied, O believing and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And while the boy was still coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at this greatness of God. The Gospel of our Lord. Invite you to pray with me as we uh, enter into our time of meditation this morning. Let us pray this Holy Spirit prayer. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. God who by the light of the Holy Spirit who instructs the hearts of the faithful. Grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So the million dollar question is, where did Moses go when he went back in to be with the Lord? Anybody got the answer to that one? We're still wondering where it was. That, did he go back into his house? You know, he came down off the mount and he was talking to the Israelites and then he would go in to talk to the Lord. Where was, where was that in that he went in? Any biblical scholars here that know the, the $10 million answer to that question? When you find out, let me know. Okay, maybe we'll have an answer next week. Well, this is Transfiguration Sunday. 
We are now coming to the end of the season of Epiphany. It's a culminating Sunday where Jesus and three of his lieutenants, Peter, James, and John, they go up onto a mountain peak. And up there, the disciples, they witness this amazing moment when Jesus is literally transfigured before their very eyes. I can only imagine, you know, can we imagine what that must have been like? I think this is one of those passages that has kind of confounded us. And it's, it's one of those more mysterious passages because we really don't understand this, this kind of theophany experience that these um, disciples had. And then there's these other two guys, these two figures that appear, supposedly identified as Moses and Elijah. And they're talking with Jesus. One of the other things that I think we don't even realize that within the context of this mountaintop experience, Jesus doesn't say a single word. At least there's nothing. Jesus doesn't actually speak to the disciples. He's speaking to Elijah and to Moses, but we have no idea what they're, you know, what they're talking about. We do, well, it says it's talking about Jesus, you know, what his purpose is. But he actually, we don't actually have words that we hear Jesus speak. You know, I would imagine that for these disciples, because it was such an amazing event, that it must have been awe-inspiring, it must have been spellbounding, just to see Jesus literally transform before them. And then, on top of it all, to have this, this experience where this cloud envelops them and they hear this voice, this is my beloved son, listen to him. They're given that directive. And of course, it also tells us that there was, amount, there was a certain amount of fear that was there. I mean, obviously, there, this, this was something that they had never, ever experienced before in their life. And I think that's one of the reasons why this passage is always a little bit uh, mysterious for us, too, because it's hard for us to imagine what that must have been like. It was a mountaintop experience for them, and it was something that they wanted to stay longer for. It was something that they wanted to linger there and take it in even more, even though uh, that was not what Jesus wanted them to do. I sometimes wonder if when we have those mountaintop high experiences, how often it is that we want to continue to stay longer and to linger. Um, I think back to my years of being in Bible camp ministry. One of the more difficult days of the camping ministry in the summertime was the day when all the campers were going home. And there were all these hugs and all of these tears and, um, you know, people were just... Uh, sad to have to go and leave camp. Uh, And the thing that I always found quite amazing, and this is another one of those testaments of how the Holy Spirit works in the lives, is that I I, I would always watch the boys. I would watch the boys as they would come to camp. And those first couple of days, you know, they were kind of like, oh yeah, this Bible camp stuff, this ain't for us, you know. We're too cool for this Bible camp stuff. And by the end of the week, these guys are just fully engaged and they're just taking it all in and it's just like they're, they're having the time of their lives and they've, they've had, it's, it's like they've gone through this, this, this transformational experience just in, in five and a half short days of being at camp. And yet, because of the, because of the, the environment there and how they are um, you know, touched by all of the different things that are happening there, it, it, it changes their life. And even some of those boys found it hard to leave at the end of the week. This amazing moment in the life of Jesus and his three disciples 
I think we need to note, though, that it's bookended. It's bookended by two very sobering realities. The first is that before they go up to the mountain, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be rejected, and that he's going to be killed. And yes, on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. And along with that news that he's going to suffer and be rejected and he's going to be killed, Jesus also takes that as the opportunity to call to his disciples to follow him and to take up their cross and to walk with him and to journey with him to Jerusalem. The other end of this mountaintop experience, we have Jesus and the three disciples coming down off of the mountain, and they're greeted by this great, gra- this great cloud of people. And this father comes running up to Jesus, and he's begging him to free his son of this evil spirit that had seized him. And I think that these two bookends, these two bookends of Jesus foretelling of his suffering and his death, and this man coming up and uh, uh, asking for assistance and help for his son that's been um, seized by an evil spirit, I believe that these two bookend passages, they actually have more to tell us about this journey of faith than does any or all mountaintop experiences that we will ever have. For Jesus and this mountaintop experience, and for his disciples, it was a moment of awe, it was a moment of inspiration and a revealing moment to see Jesus as he had never been seen before in all of his radiance. But it was also a moment of transition. This was a turning point in Jesus' ministry and the journey that would take his disciples and Jesus to the cross in Jerusalem. All of us, in one way, shape, or form, or another, all of us, we have those awe-inspiring moments. Those moments come to us in all kinds of unique and mysterious ways. And sometimes those awe-inspiring moments are something that we just simply can't explain. They just happen I know for me it was that holy ground of Bible camp ministry. And for years I had the privilege of being a part of that. Where Christ revealed his love and his grace to us through creation. Through those wonderful worship experiences that we had. Those inspiring campfires where we're on the edge of the lake with the fire and glowing and burning and looking out across the lake and seeing that beautiful sunset on the sky. Think of all the different uh, staff that were there that came there with a, the purpose, a specific purpose, to be an intentional Christian community with a focal point of experiencing Christ through creation and experiential learning. Every one of us here has some kind of a story to tell, maybe more than one story to tell, of those awe-inspiring moments in our lives. We've had some of those here even today. Uh, You missed out on it uh, for the first couple services last night and this morning. We had the bell choir here that that played uh, a a wonderful rendition of uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. And, um, you know, just a a, a very moving um, piece, uh, something unique to the bell choir that I've never heard bell choirs quite played that way. You know, we as a community, we come together. Um, I can tell you time and time again of, 
of this community has come together to support one another and lift each other up in prayer. I think about our prayer warriors. Um, every single Sunday we have these moments uh, and these um, posts of people who are needing to be lifted up in prayer, and I can tell you that that's a that's a that's a that's an important part of what we do, and it's a part of that awe-inspiring work that we do here. Uh, even things as simple as um, experiencing the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. You know, I mean, those, I think, are very special moments for us as I see uh, the faces of people coming up to receive uh, Christ's body and blood in those earthly elements of bread and wine. I see grace extended, and I see people receiving forgiveness and that love of Christ through that gift. Even that wonderful gift of baptism that we had the opportunity to experience here just a couple short weeks ago when David and uh, Andrew were baptized here. And uh, I I thought, and I I, I don't know if I, I I guess I don't know if I want to actually describe it as an awe-inspiring moment, but it was just kind of one of those uh, things that I thought was kind of uh, comical and and, uh, really funny. Um, Andrew and... um, David had one of their cousins here uh, standing by their side as they were being doused with water and having those words spoken over them. And uh, their cousin, after church, uh, made the comment and said, I want to go back to that church again. I want to go back to that church again because I want to see Santa Claus. Now, I don't know if they were talking about me or if they were talking about Paul. I think they were talking about Paul. Look behind you. Look behind you. (laughs) Now, if there's anybody that looks like Santa Claus, that's the guy right there. Yeah, so were they they talking? Was he talking about me or Paul? No. Really? Okay. All right. Got to lose some weight. Was that an awe-inspiring moment? I don't know. Maybe for him, maybe for their cousin that was. I read a line this week uh, as I was reflecting on this passage, and it's, again, it's a quote from one of my favorite authors, Deb Thomas. And I think these are words worthy of our consideration when, it, when we think about um, awe-inspiring moments and experiencing sacred, experiencing holiness in our lives. She says that we learn mundane holiness. We learn mundane holiness only in seconds, minutes, hours, and days of our regular lives. She says there are no shortcuts. That's kind of an interesting comment. We learn mundane holiness in seconds, minutes, hours, and days of our regular lives. And then she says this, and I think this is really right on. She says, God is not in the business of offering us permanent real estate on the mountaintop. God is not in the business of offering us permanent real estate on the mountaintop. You know, when she uses that phrase, mundane holiness, I'm relatively sure, and I'm pretty sure I understand what she means. And I also believe that Jesus already knows. And Jesus wants us to know that most of our life of faith, it is lived out in the, the daily, the ho-hum, the mundane and the routine. 
And that is where we see and that we experience mundane holiness. We only need to look to the life of Jesus to see that truth. Where did Jesus spend the majority of his time in his ministry? He spent it with us, the people, in our ordinary, simple, everyday lives. That's where Jesus met them, and that's where he meets us on our journey. Jesus and his disciples, Peter, James, and John, they came down from the mountain, and a man approached Jesus and said, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only son. He's been seized by an evil spirit. There is something about that phrase that is eerily familiar to me because I got a phone call from a father this week way out on the East Coast. And he said, Pastor, I'm asking you to help me with my son. He said, this is my son. And God never gives up on us, and I don't want to give up on my son but I need your help. Something eerily familiar when I heard that voice on the phone. And yet, that is where Jesus is. Jesus is in the midst of our dysfunction, in the midst of our brokenness. And he's there in the midst of the ordinary and the mundane of life. We are called to come down back from the mountaintop. Maybe today is a a mini mountaintop experience for you. Maybe not necessarily from what I've said. Maybe it's something from a testimony that Paul gave today and that that wonderful story about uh, this uh, exchange uh, between a family who'd lost their son and yet knowing that he had come to know the Lord uh, just a few days before his passing. Something about today is is a mountaintop experience for you, but we are called to come down off of that mountain to be the presence of Christ and to take it with us into the world. I know for me this has been a week that I have seen the realities of life face to face. I had a homeless woman in my office, and she is facing death even to this day. She has a diagnosis of leukemia, And her body continues to deteriorate and weaken every day. And she has a mom who has completely disowned her and she has nowhere to turn. The valley also came calling this week in the voice of a loved one who called on me in almost hysteria. But a voice came yearning, wanting to be listened to. A person came needing to just simply express raw emotion. When life turned upside down with an unexpected, difficult news, the valley came calling again this week when I had the opportunity to see Jesus present with us in a hospital room in a nursing center where uncertainty and confusion and fear of the unknown future It loomed in these people's lives. Each of these moments were another place for me and for those who I encountered. It was another opportunity for us to discern the presence of God in those spaces between the light 
and the brightness and the darkness of the shadows in the valley. And for me and for you, it is an invitation for us to follow Jesus back down to the mountain, back down the mountain, where Jesus spent the majority of his ministry. One of the things that I know to be so true, and that is that our lives, they are couched most often within the confines of the ordinary and the mundane. Mountaintop experiences, though they are yearned for, they are oftentimes infrequent and they happen only on God's time and they come at the most unexpected of times. And again, I think this is when we need to continually be calling ourselves and be reminding ourselves of that baptismal covenant and I do that often. I claim that baptismal that promise that Christ will always be with us and that he makes his home in us. And that we can trust that whether we find ourselves on the brightest mountaintop or in the darkest valley, that Jesus is still there with us. Every day is another opportunity for us to experience and to look for, not only to look for, but to listen for the sacred. To look for and to listen for the holy and the divine in our lives. And as Deb Thomas asserts, and I concur with her assertion, she says that Jesus is present everywhere. Both the mountain and the valley belong to him, for he is Lord of all. Amen. I invite you to share and pray with me now the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Go forth from this place refreshed and empowered to do the ministry to which God calls you. Travel lightly, for you carry within you all that you need. And notice God's simple presence in everyday experiences, in the holy and the mundane of our lives. And whenever opportunity arises, labor for the good of all. And may the blessing and the joy of God, our creator, healer, and life giver, go with you always. Amen. Amen.